Raise your hand if you have recently said, may I have my life back now? Or when can we get back to normal? You know, truthfully, I, like you, I'm tired as well. Part of me wishes it could just be March 1 again, where I could go to work as usual, I would have a pretty clear idea of what was uh, coming in the week ahead, and also a general idea of what the weeks ahead would look like, where we could gather as a congregation for worship, gather in person as usual, we could shake hands, we could talk together directly, we could sing together and worship together. You know, I, I think we all did really well in responding quickly to the warnings about needing to stay at home. But as the weeks have passed, the virus doesn't seem all that dangerous to most of us in Lancaster County because almost none of us have gotten sick. And we haven't had anyone close to us in physical agony because of the virus or who have died because of it. These things still seem to be happening to other people in other places. So I think many of us are thinking, what is the big deal? I want my life back. I want the rhythms of my life back that I've been used to. I don't really like people telling me what I can or cannot do. Some of us may be thinking, I want my job back, or I want my company back, or I want my income back. Those are important things. Unfortunately, it sounds like we may be dealing with disruptions related to the coronavirus for at least another year or year and a half. Some things may return to something that seems approximately normal to us, but we, we may have to wait that long. We may have to wait a rather long time to have things working exactly the way they did on March 1. For example, when we begin regathering for worship in person, we'll have to do it in a way that honors the safety guidelines that we're still not really used to. Things like not touching each other for hugs or handshakes, um, or um, having to stay six feet away from people that we love or wearing masks at least some of the time, where older people are still at risk, and so on. So when we begin regathering, it will feel like a partial reopening. And it's not really clear when we'll be able to do away with some of these restrictions, these new habits. So it won't really feel like we have our March 1 lives back anytime soon, I don't think. And if the virus flares up again, which is a possibility, we may have to move back into being more careful again. I think you and I, we will need to keep growing in our flexibility and our patience over the next year or two. Things may only settle for a little while before they change again, and that may be what we have to get used to. I heard someone recently say that the main problem with looking back is that only, we then only see what's in our rearview mirror and we miss what's coming at us. As you know, that's not a very good idea when you're driving a vehicle. One of our favorite family stories is about my daughter Katie's uh, transition to college. <clears throat> we dropped her off at Eastern Mennonite University. I think it was on a Thursday or Friday for a weekend of orientation. Her classes were scheduled to start that following Monday. And she called us on Sunday evening in some distress. And we were both on the phone talking with her. And she said, Mom and Dad, I want to come home. I need you to come and pick me up. And we said, why is that? And she said, well, I'm just not cut out to be a college student. I don't think this is going to work out for me. And so we said, well, Katie, you haven't even started your classes yet. And we said, we advised her, we said, we think you should try your classes before you decide that you're not up, cut out for college. And thankfully, she trusted us enough to give it a try. And she eventually began to find her rhythm there. Things began to work uh, for her. And she eventually got the hang of it and graduated. 
You know, in trouble, in moments of trouble or uncertainty, it's fairly natural for us to want to rewind our lives, to go back to happier, more predictable times. And we're not the first generation of God's people to feel that way. I find it comforting to know that our God is such a good and loving God. He always knows just what we need, even if we don't really want what we need. Today, I want to give you three other phrases that God has often said to his people in the past when their lives are troubled. My sense for all of us is still, as I've been saying to you, that God, one of God's words to us is, you are ready for this. We are ready for this, that he has been preparing us for this kind of challenge for a long time. That word is most like the third one I want to share with you today. As I give you these three phrases, you may recognize what God is saying to you as soon as I mention it. It may come alive for you instantly. But if not, I would invite you to spend some time in listening prayer in the week to come or or later today or in the week to come to see if God is saying one of these phrases to you right now. So let's dive in. The first one is, I'm trying to get your attention. Listen to me. It's like a wake up call. Wake up. I'm trying to get through to you. I'm trying to get your attention. This might be a word of discipline or a word of correction. I want to be clear here. I want to be very careful in how I say this. I'm not saying that God sends suffering or evil. God does sometimes withdraw his protection from us, and that's sometimes why hard things happen to us. And God clearly does use the circumstances of our lives to mold us and form us. So I wouldn't say that God sent this virus, but I do believe he wants to use our present circumstances to form us, to train us. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 12 of that book. He says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, and here the writer quotes from Proverbs 3. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. There his quote from Proverbs ends. As you endure this divine discipline, Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? For our earthly father disciplined us for a few years. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. God's discipline has a purpose. It has an end goal, which is that we would become more like him, share in his character, share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You know, I think for many of us, the word discipline or punishment has a bad connotation. It feels like a bad thing because it hurts. It might be more helpful for us to think of it as pruning. And maybe that has a more positive connotation for you. Pruning or focusing or deepening, deepening in character or deepening in faith. Maybe those are more helpful ways to think about uh, discipline or training. So if this is God's words, word to you, I'm trying to get your attention, it may be that what he's saying to you is repent. Repent. It's time for you to make some changes in your life. It's time for you to turn away from the sin in your life. Time to turn away from things that don't really satisfy. It may be that that's what God is trying to say to you. Or maybe it's a word of just a, a, call, a call to make a change. 
not, not that you're uh, struggling with sin or have, your, have a misplaced focus, but maybe it's time to make a change, to make a move, to step into, new, step into the responsibilities that he's entrusted to you as a friend, as a father, as a, as a husband. It may be a time to make a change in relationships, change in how you're spending your time. God may be saying, listen to me, listen to me, take advantage of this opportunity. Or maybe it's a chance to re-examine what you're relying on, what's important to you, what you're relying on to be peaceful in your life. Maybe it's a chance for God to say to you, listen to me. I want you to learn to be peaceful and patient, even in troubled circumstances. I don't want you to be relying on peaceful, happy times in order to feel peaceful in me and to be patient about what's happening in your life. So that's the first of the three words. Is God trying to get your attention right now about the need to make a change? Maybe the one that he's been inviting you to make, calling you to, to, uh, to, to make, a change he's been calling you to make, but you've been resisting him for some time. And maybe that's what God wants to say to you. The second word that God often says to his people in troubled times is, I will deliver you. I will rescue you. I'm your redeemer. I'm your savior. I'm a, I'm a miracle worker. See what I will do. This is a major theme of the story of the people of God. The, the children of Israel, from the time of their deliverance from Egypt, is an event that they look back to still to this day, throughout their history. They also look back to his rescue from their enemies that happened repeatedly over the years. And so throughout the whole, the, the witness of Scripture, we have David and Micah, Mary and Paul referring to God as God our Savior. God, the one who saves us, the one who rescues us. This word is given to us really beautifully by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, where he says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. There's that word. I have redeemed you, delivered you, rescued you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. In other words, I will deliver you. I will rescue you from these troubles. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Sometimes when we are in trouble, that's God's word to us. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will work a miracle of rescue. I will astonish you with a solution that you might not even have imagined would be possible. That was certainly true for all of us when we were stuck and lost in sin and in despair in our lives, when we'd given up on being able to escape the grip of sin, when we've give, we had given up on being able to escape the, um, the shame of our sin, and God stepped in and by his grace, he redeemed us, he rescued us, us and his word to us was, let me save you. Let me, let me re, re, reclaim the lost and broken parts of your life. I know this is also true for many of us at Mount Joy Mennonite Church because we have stories of miracles of healing among us, miracles of financial provision, miracles of, having, of finding new jobs, miracles of finding new friends, all of these different ways and others that God redeems us and rescues us and provides for us. Is that God's word of encouragement to you right now? I will deliver you. Wait and see what I will do. 
The third thing that God often says to his people in troubled times is, I am with you. I am with you. I will walk through this with you. I will provide you, what, I will provide you with what you need. I will take care of you. I will give you whatever, what you need to get through this. This is, the word, this is uh, most like the word I've been saying to you, which is you are ready for this. We are ready for this. That's another way to say this. I am with you. I will walk with you through this circumstance. Another, this is another major theme of the Bible from the beginning through the middle to the end, which is God's strong desire to be with his people, to be with his people in the garden, to be with his people in the new, in the new Jerusalem, to be with us now in the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, God invites us to take another step in him because he's with us, because his power and his grace are with us. God invites us to take another step forward in him, even if it seems hard and even if we can't see very far into the future. And maybe this is a time for you to gain, to grow in patience and in understanding with the way God usually directs and guides his people, which is one or two steps at a time. God doesn't often give us uh, the vision or the clarity to see far into the future. God often gives us one or two steps to take. It's like driving a car through fog. If you've ever driven a car through a foggy night, you know that you can only see a few feet out ahead of you. Your headlights help, but you can't see very far down the road. And there's no point in railing about the fog, about you know, railing about the driving conditions, because but you know, wanting clearer driving conditions, which I think is kind of like saying, I want my old life back. I want to drive on a clearer road. Well, when you're on a foggy road, that just doesn't help. What you need to do is adjust to the circumstances. You need to slow down and become more alert to, to be heightened, aware, to have your awareness heightened, to listen more carefully, but to keep moving, to drive into the light that you can see. And when you do that, the light moves forward and you can see a little further down the road and you can keep driving. But you have to slow down because you can't see as far ahead of you. And that may be what's happening for you right now. This word is also given very poetically by the same prophet Isaiah, this time in chapter 41. He says, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's what I was saying just a minute ago. I will give you what you need. You can rely on my strength. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm, Jacob, little Israel. I don't think he's belittling them here. I think he's just saying you feel small. You feel powerless and insignificant. And you're living in troubled times and you feel overwhelmed by them. But do not fear, for I myself will help you. I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. These two words of um, I, will, I will deliver you, I will rescue, and I am with you get blended together in both of these texts. And maybe this third one is God's word to you right now. Is that God's word to you? I am with you. Do not fear. I will help you. I will strengthen you and help you. Hang in there. So yes, you and I both want the comfort and familiarity of March 1 back. Uh, like you, I want to get back to what I think of as normal too. But it might be quite a while until that happens. 
And in the meantime, I urge you not to shout so loud about wanting your old life back that you don't also listen for God's voice and discern what he may be saying to you in the meantime, in, in, in the reality of your present days. I'm guessing that it will be something like one of these three words. I'm trying to get your attention. I will deliver you or I am with you and I will walk through this with you. I will help you. I urge you to listen today and in the week to come for what your loving father is saying to you right now. I urge you to receive it gratefully and I urge you to respond according, accordingly. God bless you as you do so today and in the week to come. Amen.